Lord, we do thank you that you have given us the scriptures. They are authoritative, inerrant, infallible. And uh, we're here to say, uh, bring, bring clarity to what kind of response would be required of us. And please, Lord, infuse joy into our hearts uh, as we listen to the word of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so it's great to be with you um, and good to be back in, uh, in Corinthians here this morning. Now, um, okay, so as I have a couple of introductions here, uh, those of you who follow speeches and sermons. Uh, so, um, so I hope I'll get started uh, in the sermon, but I've got a couple of ideas to get started with here. Um, first of all, um, as you heard those sort of those stern words from Paul about I hope I don't, when I arrive I hope I don't find quarreling and dissension right and then when I hope I hope I, when I arrive I hope those who've committed this sexual immorality I hope when I arrive I see real repentance right so okay uh, so it's a it's a great important text for the, for us and for the for the for Christians throughout all time but I want to make sure. Um, you know um, that our approach to life change, say our, our approach to change um, is, we hope, is gospel-driven. Now, uh, what I mean by that is that we are, again, just by introduction, so I recognize if some of you are new here, I'd love to just kind of give you an orientation, and it's good for the rest of us to hear. Uh, you may have been raised with uh, a lot of exhortations from the pulpit, don't do this, and stop this, start that, and what were you thinking, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's a very, you know, it's a, you can, can sort of feel not very safe in church when you have sort of these, these exhortations happening to sort of change your behavior or openly change your behavior without any real reference to the power by which that is to take place. It's, and I think it's a very unkind thing to do. At least it's not, I don't think it's biblical. And that is that it's, it's a very, you know, here you are in church and you, you just heard the word of God and Paul is an authority and he is an important authority, an apostolic authority. And he's coming with real authority to the Corinthians. But He's doing much more than just those two verses would say. He's bringing to them a reasons to change, reasons for heart change, right? In verse, uh, verse 19, uh, latter part of 19, we hear this. In the sight of God, we have been speaking in Christ and all, end of verse 19, and all for your upbuilding. And then listen to this, beloved. Uh, now that is beautiful. That tells you where he's coming from. That tells you of his fatherly concern for the Corinthians and that they are beloved. So when we think about change in the church, like when we think about a person's to change, I think we all want to change, right? We all want to grow. It's very important that the tone of leadership is beloved tone. It's very, very important. It's not shocked tone why you brought sin into the church or what what were you thinking right 
No, we're all recovering sinners. And so I just I say that to say that the other approach is what's called moralism. Moralism. And we are self-consciously opposed to moralistic preaching and moralism in general. Moralism is not biblical. It's not Christian. Uh, you might read about it in a nursery rhyme or a nursery, nursery book about you know doing good, stopping, be, avoiding evil. That's not Christianity. Okay. Moralism is somewhat like it goes into Chuck E. Cheese. All the funny games, the fun games there. They have whack-a-mole. You ever seen the whack-a-mole? The moles that pop up out of the... Am I the only one who's played whack-a-mole? How many have played whack-a-mole here? Please admit it in church. There we go. All right, good job. I would love to have been at the corporate meeting when someone's saying, hey, we need to figure out a game. And someone says, well, how about uh, creating some plastic uh, moles and we beat on them? Yeah, good idea, Bob. You know, whatever I I just think that would be been an interesting moment in corporate history. But um, whack-a-mole is something like moralism. So whack-a-mole is a spiritual, a spiritual, uh, spiritual whack-a-mole. That's what I'm trying to say. Spiritual whack-a-mole is, uh, hey, stop that, stop that gossip. <clears throat> you know, and uh, hey, you over there, uh, you know, stop that slander. <clears throat> right, and so. And you are just sort of being exhorted to stop it, stop it. And you kind of get beaten down, and boom, right? And, of course, these things tend to crop up again, right? So we're trying to get down to the place where, let me just, we're trying to get down to the place where why is gossip something that I desire to do? Let's get, let's get down below the behavior and let's get to the, the heart chemistry of what's going on when I want to put someone down uh, with a misrepresentation of the truth or even spread something true, but, it's, but I'm doing it in a mean way, right? I'm doing it in a terrible way. It's a sinful way, right? So how do we get down to that? So I can't um, fully express the approach to how do we become gospel-driven in, in, our, in our approach to change. But we do know that we have to apply the riches of grace such that we are now free to give up these behaviors that are not really going to work anyway. So that's just a little, little introduction to, uh, you know, you'll always remember sort of that sermon that started off with whack-a-mole and uh, mor- moralism, which is really, really sort of rampant today um, and, uh, and behind the pulpit often, behavior change really doesn't happen through just exhortation. Uh, Tim Keller talks about you can put pressure on the heart. You can put pressure on the heart. You, you can guilt the heart. Put pressure. And, you know, I, you might change for about three weeks, right? But we we want to we wanna be, be careful with that. So that, that's my first introduction. i got another one. All right, so um, I want to talk to you today about spending love on others. Spending love on on others. That comes from verse 15. I will most gladly uh, spend, and look look at this, I will most gladly spend and be spent uh, for you. I will most gladly. And uh, uh, I'm not uh, too troubled by 
uh, two-thirds of that sentence. Uh, what I'm most troubled is how he's glad to do it. <laughs> um, I can spend on you, and I can be spent on you, but the question is, am I glad to do it? See? So this is what we're after today, is we're after how do we become joyful people who are willing to spend and to be spent on others. Um, and Paul so beautifully uh, avoids self-pity. Uh, I probably wouldn't do that with the Corinthians. <laughs> I would have thought to myself, why am I stuck with this loser church? You know? I would have thought to myself, you know, those Ephesians got it together. And the Thessalonians, man, those, those people are sharp. And what's up with these Corinthians? I would have probably put them in a pigeonhole and figured out, you know, just, just put them away. I, why am I stuck? And why can't I get a dynamic, easy-to-lead church, right? But Paul's stance is, I'm glad to, be spe- to spend and to be spent on you. Um, now, Paul can be very feisty at times. He can be a sar- sarcastic at times. But he uses these, these rhetorical techniques uh, to try to wake the Corinthians up to the fact that his authority is for them. It's for them, right? And it's good for them. Uh, it's hard to admit. Uh, maybe you've been pulled over by uh, one of those uh, uh, highway patrol people. And at first you're, you're shocked and your driving righteousness is, uh, is offended. And... Uh, and then you realize, maybe a couple of days later, you know what? That was probably okay and probably good for me that I, that I got that ticket. I was, it was good. It was good authority. You in the military, you, uh, you probably resist. Uh, you who have authority over others, uh, I'm not sure if your, your authority has received all that well. Is it received with joy? Uh, do you get thanks? Do you ever get any thanks? Thank you, sir, for correcting that for pointing that out uh, to me. Paul, in this context, context, takes his fatherly role, his apostolic role, which has the flavor of a, of an, of a father. He takes it seriously. Now, uh, let me just cover the main ideas. In this, on, this, on your sermon page, um, I've been endeavoring to write out things for you. So, I, I want you to... See this and um, take this home with you, and hopefully this this helps you. I'm just going to read this for you, so we all kind of get oriented. What's what's going on here? Paul has been speaking like a loving parent to wayward children. He opened his heart to the Corinthians in these last few chapters, in hopes that they would reciprocate his affection and communicate and commitment to them. To, to them, in the preceding chapters, Paul had spent much time boasting about himself. He made sure this boasting would not be misinterpreted. He is spending love on them. Paul's whole communication strategy has been to build up the Corinthians. The Corinthians must now prepare themselves. His love will be embodied as he arrives. Will they listen to him before he arrives? Correction and discipline are forms of love. Paul knew that if the Corinthians did not observe his instructions in this epistle... He would have to rebuke and discipline them. Paul admits that he may be humbled by the lack of progress the Corinthians are making in gospel application. 
Even this falls under God's good purposes for Paul. Now, I always try to make it. Here's a gospel focus. Um, the good news is that is announced to us in Christ arrives in the context of a massive criticism or judgment about the whole of our lives and all our motivations. We fall short. We are exposed. We are needy. We can't demand mercy, but we sure need mercy. But the great news is that the one who could have left us exposed and, um, and as proven failures has, in Jesus, provided a way to survive this judgment. Of course, the judgment falls on Christ. The worst is over. Praise God. No one's, now you could underline this, take it, let's discuss this, let's interact with this. No one's honest speech toward us is going to destroy us. Do I hear an amen? Okay, good. No one's honest speech toward us is going to destroy us. Even dishonest speech. Do you sense, sense this, is, this is good stuff, okay? No one's criticism can even come close to the critique we have survived. So let this truth sink deep into your identity. Also, someone else's failure to conform to your love, in other words, or to respond to your love, your your rebuke, your correction, and care won't destroy you but falls under God's good purposes for you. Oh. (laughs) So, um, So others, when they are not what you want them to be, You can think of, well, I do have a way to love them because the love that I receive from God is constant, continual, always for me. I have a high priest who's always living for me, always consistent, always available, always interceding for me, always, always, always. This is what's happening with me. And now I enter in this world of inconsistencies. These people are not what they should be. This church isn't what they should be, right? And so I can now bear patiently those who are not what I want them to be. Uh, and yes, I can speak honestly to them. And let's say they get they get nasty back at me. Uh, uh, maybe I've been trying to speak honestly with someone, and it's gone. It's going difficult. It's, it's not easy, right? That response doesn't destroy me. So we're being trained in how to help each other with grace and to be counselors, ministers for each other. That's what you see going on with Paul. He is bearing with a church that doesn't want him. <laughs> just, just think about that. You, know, you, know, <laughs> you, you greet me at the door here. Hi, Pastor Todd. Good. Uh, I don't want you. And next person, uh, I don't want you. You know what I'm saying? Meaning that, wow, human love, human uh, human love is not coming through for me. So I think you can sense from my demeanor and my my uh, my energy this morning, this is the stuff that is is gospel stuff. This is the stuff that is vitally important. I, I, I'm preaching to myself here. Now, here's a, today's big question at the bottom of your sermon page. Now, I snuck in two questions for some of, you, some of you grammarians. When people need heart change, 
Do you give them time to consider what you are saying? Or is your communication style demanding that seeks a quick fix? I, w- I would have stopped writing them letters. <laughs> hey, I spent a long time writing you uh, previous epistles. And I'm not writing anymore. I'm done. My love only does a little, you know, I, my love only goes to this point, right? Okay. Now that was all introduction. How about that? So, getting the heart glad. Again, I'm back, backing up into verse 15 of the previous section. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. The first step to figure out, and probably the reason why you may hesitate of getting involved and helping someone, I'm guessing, is your heart may not be all that glad. It's one of the most important things I can do on a given week to get ready for Sunday morning is to have a glad heart. It's not fun to be around a uh, sad pastor. That's not, that's not fun for anyone. That's not good. And I, I would imagine it's not fun to be around a sad apostle. So Paul is, I am most glad to give and to give and to give so the question is, how do we get to that place of finding gladness? Well, this really is a step of spiritual maturity. I know I have to, if you use the word manage, a management term, I have to manage my heart. Some of us, We all, in our own particular way, get sad in our own particular way. Something happens at work and just devastates you. Okay, something really terrible happens. Maybe it makes sense that you're devastated. But something not so devastating devastates you. In other words, we are easily thrown off from our joy in the gospel. Now, part of it is an awareness of that. Part of it is I am easily, I I easily lose track of the love of God for myself during the week. The Sundays are good. I remind, okay, but this would be just an honest, if you, if you journal, I can lose track of the gospel every day. Don't, you are in the right place if that's you. We are looking at a church that can't remember the gospel very well. That, that's what we're looking at. And in the middle of all this, there has to be a joyful apostle who says, this failure of human love is not going to destroy me. This is a recovering, the Apostle Paul, a recovering, prideful person. He was a control freak. He was an absolute, as a Pharisee, he was not a happy guy. Very prideful person. And this love in Jesus has reworked, renovated his heart such that he he could not bear with people. When we first meet him, he's holding the robes of those who have taken off their robes so they can throw rocks more freely to kill Stephen the deacon in Acts chapter 7. And Saul is there holding their robes. And he cannot bear 
with anyone who doesn't conform to the pharisaical view of life. And he, we first meet him in Acts chapter 9, riding on his horse, heading to Damascus to get authorization to throw Christians into jail. He's just this fire-breathing Pharisee. He cannot handle a disordered world. <laughs> now he's got the Corinthians. You see, by his very tes- the very testimony of this epistle, we're seeing the life change in the Apostle Paul who can handle the disorder of the Corinthians, and now he's going to bring his apostolic authority to the Corinthians in order to love them. And some of them are may remain unrepentant, and he will correct them and discipline them. That can look like admonishment. Um, in the PCA, we would ha- say that a person who is in unrepentant Unrepentant sin. We're all sinners. The question is unrepentant. We, we would perhaps withhold the Lord's Supper from that individual if they're a member of this church. We want to recover their joy in the gospel. We want them to help remember the power of God to help them escape the gravitational pull of sin. So Paul is coming with apostolic authority. He understands pride. He understands resisting the will of God, even though he had a way of, in his religion, to think he was doing the will of God. So the first step is getting the glad heart. Look at verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves? That means that as if Paul is on trial, it's like he's presenting a case to defend himself. He's not doing that. He's just trying to win their hearts back. He, Paul is saying that all his words are for their upbuilding and, and, the, and for their edification. I love that small little end, the ending of verse 19, beloved. And he is holding on to that view of the Corinthians. Verse 20, here's... Look at verse 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. Uh, it's a way of saying, well, look, you're going you're gonna to still put me in some category that dismisses my authority over you. Look at the end of verse 20. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. It's very similar to the the listing of of fleshly behavior in Galatians 5, 19 and uh, 19 and 20. Somehow in the Corinthian church there were there was a contingent of people who felt free to act this way. Felt free to act this way. This may have been part of Titus's report, who has now communicated where the Corinthians are coming from. These are really hard things that happen in a church. Factions, rivalries. People get together, and since there's five people, they all now are disagreeing uh, with some direction of the church. They create, they create a division. These are 
mostly sins of the mouth. By the way, just observing, not saying anything about our church, observing over the years, Christians actually can feel pretty comfortable speaking poorly of others. It actually can happen. You're out at the coffee shop and people just start talking poorly about other people who are not there. It's just kind of, right? One of the things you can do to help someone is say, hey, whoa, it's just you and me right here. You, me, and two lattes. That's all that's happening right here. And let's have an, agree- let's have an agreement that we don't bring up anyone else who's not here. There you go. And have a great meeting. In Christian, Christian circles, this can happen. That it just becomes a comfortable thing, and uh, people are, are free to express their anger, and they don't, they're not patient with each other. Very serious, significant things there. Um, now, the, what needs to happen is that our stance toward people is not to condemn them or to write them off. If we have a concern about someone, we can always approach them, talk with them, ask 20 questions before you come to a conclusion. And you can work you can work it out. What's underneath all of this, I would suggest, what's underneath this is and I'm trying to think of what would cause me or another person to act this way. Mostly it's a refusal to suffer. I have to have this kind of church. I have to have these kinds of friends. I have to have, meaning I refuse to suffer, and I want this. Just trying to think through what's what's going on underneath the surface there. Paul says that he's afraid that he'll be humbled if he sees these things. He says here in verse 21, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me, verse 21, before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented, look at verse 21, of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Now, the Corinthian, was, Corinthian city was near a seaport, and sexual sin in the pagan world was was rampant and commonplace. And many of the Corinthians had come out of these pursuits. Now what's needing to happen is that they need to be fully reformed from their previous life. And that's a challenge. Paul is calling them, as he says in First uh, Corinthians six. He says that and some were, and such were some of you. He lists behaviors, including homosexuality and all kinds of other sexual sin, and he he lists these things. And he says to the Corinthians, and such were some of you. So there is a transition from that lifestyle to a new change. Titus has come and said. Well, um, we have reason to have concern that sexual activity outside of the bounds of marriage between a man and a woman is is happening at Corinth. 
That's probably not a crazy significant number, but it's, it's happening. And Paul fully expects repentance to be underway, change of life. They have not been brought in line with their King Jesus, who delivers all of us from, progressively delivers us from uh, our, our sinful patterns. They have not been brought fully in line with the new creation that's in Christ. I'm quoting 1 Corinthians 6, 9, that they were washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and of our spirit and the spirit of our God. So it's an alignment thing. My body has been purchased, blood purchased, blood bought my body. I do not own my own body. I am purchased. You are purchased. You're a believer here today. Your, your body was purchased by, by Christ. And repentance is the key. Now, what's needed is someone to meet with the Apostle Paul or others meet with the Apostle Paul, and they repent. They say, I see this is wrong. Help me. I want to change. Man, a beautiful breeze of grace blows into the room. Once a person says, I'm sorry, then there's now... Now, now the whole demeanor, now the whole change of things, it's now redemptive in a very, very good way. So, these are pastoral and apostolic issues in Paul's day. This is for what we call in our membership vow, number five, those of you who are members, I promise to support uh, well, number four is I promise to support the work and the worship of the church to the best of my ability. And number five is I promise to, to study the purity and peace of the church. That means I'm a, I'm, I'm a promoter of it. The purity and the peace of the church. So this is for the good of the church. Now, what, what Paul would desire for the Corinthians is that they are a shining light, not perfect, but a shining light, before the darkness of the Corinthian culture. And there is within the church order, holiness, godliness within the church. And that includes ongoing repentance. And I'll close with this example. Um, You see, you who are members here at the church you have a right to an orderly church. Um, I was just part of a presbytery meeting with a gathering of elders in Northern California. And the subject of the purity and peace of the church came up in our meeting. And we have an important role to make sure that among these 30-plus churches that there is order and purity and peace in these churches. And these ministers are promoting it by their life and their priorities and all that kind of thing. So you as members should not have a disorderly experience in church. That's why there are elders. And elders who would counsel someone, help them with repentance. And the joy of repentance that we can all, Galatians 6.1 says, if anyone is caught in sin, well, we can all be hoodwinked by sin. 
shouldn't surprise us that sin happens in the church. It shouldn't surprise us. But you have a right to an orderly church and peaceful church, and you who have children. A behavior in the church can't be tolerated such that your children are now receiving a confusing message growing up. And I'll give you an illustration. The church in in Florida, where Mary and I were members during our seminary years, we had a congregational meeting. And the elders uh, were there, and the pastor represented the work of the elders. And uh, the first thing he said was, we are requiring of you to receive... Um, and he mentioned the name of the individual, so-and-so, receive them and forgive them and do not hold their sin against them. That's from the elders to the congregation. Well, a woman had gone away to college and she came back pregnant and she wasn't married. Now, orderliness and order and peace in the church requires that this be addressed, okay? For many, many reasons. One simple one would be that, I mean, one application of this would be for parents. When you're driving home from church and, so I think so-and-so is going to have a baby. (laughs) And your 15-year-old daughter says, well, is she married, right? So So the disorder that's outside of the church is not appropriate for inside the church. Everybody tracking? All right. Just feel a little uncomfortable? Well, this is the work of ministry, right? And so what was beautiful about it was the whole church. Everyone, is everyone a sinner in the, in the group? Yes. Everyone, can everyone identify with, with, this, with this young woman? We all can in some way or another. We all understand. And so um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a beautifully done uh, hearing of her repentance and a receiving of her and of, of, of supporting her. That's what the Apostle Paul wants for the Corinthians. That they could get out from under the, the captivity of sin. And I would also encourage you to say that the, the worst sins are not in verse 21. But he includes you know, gossip alongside these other issues. So meaning that we can never in any way hold ourselves sort of self-righteously above someone else because we have not engaged in that particular sin. So um, this, is, this is a part of our gospel recovery. This is a recovery. This is a, we are all uh, in this process of recovering from our proclivity to have a clenched fist toward God's authority. Who was the one speaking? The one here speaking in this scripture at a human level is the one who had a clenched fist towards God's very purposes, was resisting the authority of God in Christ. That's the one who's speaking. He is now now under the authority of our good King Jesus. And so I hope this will now encourage you that realize that your ministry among your friends is to help them. May you speak honestly with one another. Help help each other grow in the grace of repentance. 
Help them grow in the grace of repentance. This is for you. This is for you. And those, we just think of the ministry of Jesus who was so beautifully compassionate with those that others would condemn. And it was his compassion and his grace and his forgiveness that brought about life change in people. So in that same spirit, we are called uh, to minister. Let me pray for us. Lord, this is an expression of your love and your care for us. Father, I've seen some things in the work of our presbytery where where we have not loved the purity and the peace of the church. I represent flawed brothers. And we're still all learning this. Thank you for, for this text that tells us that when we are become enslaved to a particular habit, your grace comes and says, Oh Lord, I, I see. I see what, what, what I've allowed to grip my heart. So Lord, I ask that I ask that you would move among us, that we could we could receive again your correction and your love and in and through the grace of repentance. Thank you for your love and your care and your apostolic love for us, that you you come with authority over us and that is authority for our good. We thank you for the work of Scripture, of the gospel, of our King Jesus among us. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Amen. And I think a lot of ideas there thinking, how do we change? Um, I'd love to interact with you. If you want to debrief, talk it over, um, be glad to do that. Let me ask that you stand. And um, we, whenever I say the, I, I think this, you can say this as well, whenever I say the Apostles' Creed out loud, it feels like time stops. Um, I don't know why, but it does. 